Well, guys, welcome to our Smokefield Jazz Club here this weekend as we start off. It's just awesome. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here with your new uh, at Horizon. You're just coming back from last weekend. We're in a brand new series called Social Light, The Lost Art of Friendship. Yeah, there's just something beautiful about friendship. It just doubles the joy, it halves the burden. And as long as there's guys, you know, guys, we show a friendship with each other by harassing each other. I mean, these aren't just guys I've, I've worked with. These are friends of mine who harass me all the time behind me. And it's just awesome to have friendship together. And yet I think in our society today, we've often lost the art of that. Hanging out, building into each other's lives, working on projects together, affirming one another. So the next couple weeks, we're just going to celebrate friendship. Look at some of the secrets of it, how to enhance it, how to build on it. And look at some of those classic songs throughout time that speak to friendship. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Milky Way 
once again Thank you for being a great it's just great to sing about it's great to think about just the friendships in our life and you know like I said guys in the stage I've been friends with Kenny for 20 years one of the first people I met when I when I uh, moved here and uh, Neil I play volleyball with him he's really really good and loves Disney and he and I actually both like Star Wars Uh, it's just interesting how the different friendships in your life can really shape you you know at Horizon we've always been about friendships we're a group of friends talking to other friends about what's important to us so another group of people who I've known for 20 years are the, the folks you're about to listen to. And it's been interesting when I ask them to come and talk about their friendship, they're almost embarrassed. Like, you know what, we just kind of are friends. You don't talk about friendship. Isn't that kind of the truth about friendship? Like if you're, if you're in love with somebody, right, you're always talking about the relationship. But friends are like more side by side, enjoying the relationship and not talking about the relationship. When I asked my friend Ann and Martha to talk about their friendship, they kind of reluctantly did, and they just shared the highs and the, the challenges that friendship makes even better. I'd like you to hear their story together. Let's watch. We met, it was between 1999 and 2000, when we were just starting the Horizon Church, which really basically was started in Keith's house. Absolutely. Where people came and met, and was one of the people that I met then, and... We've just uh, grown in friendship over the years through lots of fun, lots of tears, holding each other up in relationship, either with our husbands or with our children or with friendship, outside friendships. She's been a very consistent friend that's always been there. I never thought that God would reward me with an incredible friend like Martha. Um, she literally, as we say, I mean, we've been there in the good times and the bad. And I do think that God blesses friendships that are based on faith. But we really grew close when I asked Anne to be part of the, the mission trip planning together. And that, at that time, it was Mary Lou, McElwraith, Anne, and myself. I just learned who she really was on the mission trip. You see, you know, sleeping in bunk beds, riding in the back of a tap-tap or a truck in Haiti. We've eaten off the floor with kids that that's where they live. But we literally have traveled 
all around the world and have had more experiences that were all faith-filled, but some more painful than others. Like when we went on the glamping trip, when they say glamping now, I literally start shivering because it was 30 degrees with no heat. I was like, I think we can do without this. So that is marked off the list and checked. We've done that. We kind of mixed it up. So we had a lot of fun, but witnessed um, things that I don't think I've ever witnessed before in my life. And having a good friend with you. <laughs> Sorry. One of, this is one of the things that I love about Martha is that she's so sincere. She carries her heart on the outside. The only thing that it's difficult is when we have to speak in public, I always have to talk after her when she's like this. I so she sure. promised me she wasn't going to do this, but <laughs> it's okay. It's because you're so sincere and so loving. But going through the garbage dump village, sitting on the floor with the kids in a soup kitchen, feeding them, Anne's always there. But you really figure out someone's character when they're willing to do those kind of things. But I have to say, we also had a lot of fun. I can think of one time when you really were there for me in such a way, it was when my dad was dying and I had called you that morning, or no, you had called me that morning and I had spent the night at the uh, retirement home because they had said that they thought he was gonna pass within 24 hours. And you said, why don't I take you and your mom out for breakfast just to get out of there for a little while and I didn't realize how much we needed to get out and to just see how much my mom appreciated your friendship with me in the midst of my dad's loss and then after we had lunch and came back or breakfast uh, then we came back and my mother left and I went to go home to change clothes and I'd run out of gas and I literally had to call you, do you remember? And you showed up at the gas station to pay for my gas. And I'm standing there laughing like, I think they took my brain out when my father passed away because I didn't even think to look at my gas thermometer. And to think that you were there immediately to fill my gas tank, which I still owe you one, by the way. So. And she clearly has a memory, like a steel trap. I mean, this woman does not miss a detail. And I'm always like, was I on that trip with you? I can't remember. Well, I could tell her what she was wearing. I mean, I think together we're whole. Yeah. Right? That's a good way to put it. And one quality about Anne, too, is uh, that I really appreciate. Uh, when I'm saying something uh, that she doesn't agree with, she's not afraid to say, well, let's look at it a little different way, Martha, or let's not go down that direction or whatever, where, to me, that's a a sign of a true friend. She is uh, very even, always even, and always well thought out. The idea of um, sitting together, sometimes friends just want to fix everything, but Anne sits there and listens, which I think is incredible quality, because most people want to say, oh, I've been through this, I've done that, or let me pray for you, instead of just sitting there and letting you pour your heart out or cry your heart out, she is always willing to be present. Well, and I could say the same about you. I mean, you're the first phone call when I find out that I'm having jaw surgery the second and third time. What I love is I can, on a phone call or sitting together, talk about the things that are dearest to us and be crying, and within three minutes, 
be laughing and then crying again. Okay. And that I personally think that's what a real friendship is about. And I'm so grateful, so grateful to have you as a friend. I need to give uh, Ann some lessons about running out of gas because you're not my friend unless you've run out of gas with me because I always run that thing on E. Wasn't that a beautiful story? It's just a reminder of what friendship can be. Trusted collaboration, friendship, shared stories. And the reason we're calling the series Social Light is because often we miss that nourishing friendship. In fact, social media has been shown, multiple scientific and psychological studies have shown that social media acts like junk food. The connection chemical our brain longs for is oxytocin. And yet with social media, what we get is we get dopamine hits, like junk food. It's a quick burst and you need more. It never satisfied. The more you eat, the more you need. The interactions or connections on Facebook, it just doesn't have that kind of connection. That's kind of the social media social light. There's another kind of social light that doesn't satisfy. And that's like how we use the word, a little social light. Kind of wanders around from person to person, has trivial talk and small talk. Now, I'm a social person, I love parties, I love small talk, but also that's not the stuff that's going to satisfy you, those trivial acquaintances. Rather, we're longing for connection, those kind of bonds that release oxytocin into us. Somebody knows really the real us, what's really going on inside us, and we know them. The highs, the things we're celebrating, the teams we support and love, that's what we're longing for. One of the reasons scientists have found that social media acts as junk food is because it doesn't have any eye contact. Forbes did an article years ago, and it actually showed that what we really need to connect in friendship, in marriage, and parenting is eye contact. And social media, staring at our phones, has taken that away. They said eye contact produces a powerful subconscious sense of connection that extends even to drawn or photographed eyes. Now, we need it with real people, but you can actually measure how, even when they take a cereal box and distort the eyes, Something feels weird or wrong about that. You can actually feel and experience the difference when you don't have real, genuine eye contact, not just in the real world, but even in something that's photographed. We're built for oxytocin. We're built for friendship. So how do we pursue social might in a world of social light? I want to give you three ways to do that. I tell you, besides Anne and Martha's story, I got a chance to see this firsthand. Many of you may not know, but one of our dear friends of the church passed away this week. Someone you probably have seen and interacted with if you've attended here. He probably helped you park your car, which is our friend Dawson Smith passed away. He was fighting pancreatic cancer, and we did his funeral this week. And of all the incredible things we got to celebrate about Dawson, his buddy Art got up, one of his friends, and just talked about their friendship together. Even when they both had a health crisis, how they both were able to lean into each other and share some, some wisdom from things they'd faced in the past and lean into the research of another and how they loved bicycling together and how they were, he was helping, uh, Art was talking about how he helped drive Dawson to, to the hospital the last couple weeks and months and just the powerful aspect of their friendship, it just shined forth in the midst of this funeral we did this week. How do we pursue social might in the midst of social light? I want to give you three ways. Number one, I think we need to recognize we're hungering for more than just having a party that you have trivial conversations or interactions on social media. We're hungering for more. What does it look like to hunger for more than just social light? Well, let me show you. There's a verse in the Bible. It's out of the book of Proverbs. And it says, when you recognize that need in you that you're hungering for more, 
It says something interesting. Now, Hebrew poetry uses what's called parallelism, which means it'll say something, and the next couple sentences either parallel each other or they contrast each other. Here's a proverb written by a man named Solomon. A friend loves at all times and, as a brother, is born for adversity. Now, at first glance, you might think he's talking about two categories. A friend does this and a brother does that. But he's actually saying a friend does both. When you recognize a friend, number one, they love at all times. They're there when you're having your bad moments. They know that you lose your temper. They know you got some quirks. They know you got some idiosyncrasies, but they love at all times. And they're like a brother, like a blood bond. It just, the more adversity you go through, the more you find out what a great friend they really are. Isn't that true? Don't you have friends like that? Or didn't you discover you didn't have friends that were really friends when you went through adversity and they didn't stick with you? Well, the same guy who wrote this, a guy named Solomon, he's writing another piece, of a little proverb, a little idiom, a little piece of wisdom. And when you read this again, is it paralleling or is it contrasting? Let me just read it to you right now. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Like, okay, well, that makes sense. If you want to be a friend, you, if you want to have friends, you've got to be a friend is what it sounds like. But then there's this big word, but. But there is a friend. In contrast to what I just said, there is a type of friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, if that's a contrast, then it can't be saying a fr to be a friend, you need to be a friend, but there's real friends who stick closer than a brother. What's he really saying? Well, sometimes when you look into the Hebrew, which is what the English is translated from, it kind of helps. So he actually uses different words for the word friend here. He says, a man who has fellas, is kind of the word from Hebrew. When you just have fellas, trivial acquaintances in your life, you must, you're always on, you always got to be friendly. Hey, you're kind of always in sales and marketing. It's like dating, you know, it's always sales and marketing. But at some point, you got to know who each other really are. You got to kind of take down the screen, take down the act. So some Hebrew scholars have translated the word must, strangely, that this whole thing must himself be friendly is like you're always on all the time kind of thing. They've translated that if you just have fellas in your life, you're going to come to ruin. But in contrast to the fellas, there's a friend, different word he uses, who sticks. It's not just trivial acquaintances. You've got to be on. You're in sales and marketing pretending who you are and aren't all the time. There are a type of friends who stick. They're like blood brother commitments. They are there for you. They're the ones you know you can call and they're going to call you back. See, here's what he's saying. He's basically contrasting social light and social might. Social light, if you just have acquaintances in your life, you're going to wear yourself. You're always on with the fellas. You're always on. Try to keep up appearances. But social might are those type of relationships that don't wear you out. They fill you up with a type of love that comes from blood brother type of friends. There's not a lot of books about friendship, especially in our culture, but one of the most famous ones is, of course, The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is an entire trilogy, right, as a movie, but as a book, celebrating friendship, the fellowship of the rings, a group of friends going on a journey, going on a mission, leaning onto each other. See, our culture doesn't honor friendship. Like, as you're going through the grocery line, what are all the newspaper articles? What are all the us and the, and the, the National Enquirer? What are all the articles about? Does it, is, is it like, Brad Pitt is now best friends of Keanu Reeves. Who wants to know? Brad Pitt has a new best friend? Tell me more. No. 
It doesn't tell you about friendships. It's like who's sleeping with who and who's, who's got a new soulmate that's going to last six months, right? That's what we advertise. When they turned uh, Lord of the Rings into a movie, there's a romance going through it. But that romance is not in the book, Lord of the Rings. They actually had to pull that romance out of the appendices because in our culture, we can't just have a movie celebrating friendship because we're obsessed with romantic relationships. But there's been cultures in time that have really esteemed both romantic relationships and phileo love or friendship relationships. In fact, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was really, really good friends with C.S. Lewis. And I'll talk about their friendship over the next couple weeks. C.S. Lewis was so impacted by their friendship as scholars at Oxford, writing together, discussing literature they loved together, writing stories that would change the world together. But C.S. Lewis, speaking of their friendship, wrote in a book called The Four Loves about how much their friendship meant to him. Here's what he says. Very few value friendship because very few people have actually experienced it. Friendship is the least natural of the loves. It's the least instinctive. It's not organic. It's not biological. It's not gregarious and necessary. A friend will, to be sure, prove himself to be an ally when alliance is necessary. He will lend or give when you're in need. He will nurse us when we're in sickness. The occasions for that are almost interruptions because the role of benefactor always remains accidental for that of a friend. You don't say, well, as a friend, I've got certain responsibilities. You just do it because that's what friends do. But I love that first part. Few value friendship because few have actually experienced it. We have a bunch of fellas, but not a lot of friends. So first we recognize the, the hunger for more. So how do we pursue those kind of friendships? Well, this is fascinating. C.S. Lewis writes about this a lot as well. It's really pursuing the, the U2s in your life. And, and it's fascinating how he's going to lay this out because I read this for the first time when I was in my 20s. And this excerpt I'm going to show you in a moment has so impactful, I've thought about it for 20 years. It has shaped, maybe 30 now, it's shaped how I think about friendship, how I pursue friendship, how I start friendships. It's how do we discover those U2 interests with other people. So again, same guy is writing in the Bible, and he's describing friendship as a sweetness, the sweetness of honey. He says this. He says, ointment and perfume delight the heart. Everybody loves romantic love. Everyone loves beauty. Everybody loves romance. And, though, there's another kind of sweetness. The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. They give you ideas. You don't quite as get defensive when your friend says it versus your spouse says it. Your friend gives you some counsel and kind of says, hey, you know what? Uh, have you thought that maybe there's a downside to that? Or, man, I'm really excited about that. And, and they, they energize your joy and they give some counsel when you're maybe kind of heading in the wrong direction. The word he uses is the word sweetness of a man's friend. Now, in the, in the time this was written, they didn't have a lot of sweeteners. Like, we have sweetener everywhere. You couldn't just put sweetener on stuff. Sweetener was often found when you discovered honey. So it's like you discovered honey almost accidentally and it added flavor to what you were already doing. The same thing is true of friendship. 
You don't just say, I'm going to go about making friends. You go about usually doing something else, some interest. And while having that interest, you discover somebody with the same interest, and you discover the honey, the sweetness, while you're doing something together. Emerson says it this way. He says, when you're talking about friendship love, the question, do you love me, means at last, do you see the same truth as I do? You love the Bengals too? Awesome. You get, when your wife does that, drives you crazy too? You got a son or daughter that does that too? Oh my goodness, you haven't slept for six weeks because you got a newborn too? Does it drive you crazy when the toilet paper goes this way versus this way over the toilet paper? You too? Friendship is built on the idea that you see the same truth as I. It's a shared burden, it's a shared passion, it's a shared frustration, some way in which you've got a shared thing you see together, shared thing you want to care about, shared thing you want to change. That's how friendships are born. And here's how C.S. Lewis says it. This is what I read 30 years ago in his book, The Four Loves. Friendship arises when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest which others do not share. And each person believed to be his own unique treasure of what they care about, what they value, or burden, what frustrates them. The typical expression of an opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one who loved golf. I thought I was the only one who loved Star Wars. I thought I was the only one who liked classic rock. I thought I was the only one who felt lonely being a new mom. You too interests. And that's why friendships are usually formed when we find a common interest, a common goal, a common project, a common idea we're working on. I mean, it's out of that common interest the friendship is born. That's the idea here. So I want to give you a definition for a friend. What is a friend? So we've kind of built this bar here. We're going to see different people interviewed over the series. A friend based on that, a you too kind of friend, not just a fella, not just an acquaintance, a friend, is a person who shares a seat with you. Man. Can we grab lunch? I got to talk. Someone who shares a drink. Hey, what's going on? Tell me more. Someone who shares a passion. Yeah, I'd love to help out, whether it's an eco project. I'd love to go to City Gospel and, and help make a difference in the city. I'd love to go. I'm a doctor too. You're a doctor. You want to spend some time going on a Belize medical tri trip? Me too. You share a passion. You share a perspective. I had a guy in our church. He said, yeah, I was in a marriage uh, small group, this guy at our church, and I didn't know him real well, and we got done with the group, and he pulled me aside, our wives weren't there, and he says, you know, this marriage group has been pretty good, but you know what my real problem is? I know everything I'm supposed to do to my wife, or with my wife, for my wife, I just don't want to do it. And the guy's like, me too, me too, that's my problem, I don't lack information, I lack motivation. And a friendship is born. Man, we got to work on this. Now go back to that slide. Shares a passion, shares a burden, and sometimes shares their life, right? So he says, how are you doing? Fine. But a real friend says, well, actually, you know, it's been a tough week. Or, you know, it's been an exciting week. I'm going to tell you what I'm working on. And you really get to know their life. We need more of those kind of you two friendships in our life. Let me tell you about one of mine. One of mine, a friend of mine I've been known, uh, known for about 30 years, my friend Danny. 
So Danny and I could not be more different, but we've known each other since our early 20s. And you look at those pictures, just a snapshot of a couple of our moments. Danny and I met, and we found out early on that we had a shared passion for chess. <laughs> yeah. And not a lot of people love chess. So we get down, we're playing chess. And so it turns out I had two other guys who like chess. We used to play, I actually have a, a, this is how nerdy I am. I have a chess board where four people can play chess at once. And when you get somebody in checkmate, you take all their pieces and double your army. This is like really nerdy chess. So we find this passion where we also like other things too. We're playing chess together. Now, I am a fast, fast decision maker to my credit and to my detriment. Danny is a very thoughtful, very careful thinker. So I'll take a turn in chess with just he and I. Danny, hmm, hmm. And when we were, we're both Gen Xers, so when, when the first automatic chess player came out, it was Texas Instrument Computer. And we both used to play that. And so we used to play that. When the computer would play, it would go this slow. You'd play, and the computer would go, two red squares. And you could wait up to 30 minutes for the chess computer to play. So while Danny's taking his turn, you can always hear me mumbling. So it's kind of a, kind of a common. Uh, so we're on a cruise together. We're the only two playing in the outdoor chess set, having a great time. And yet I have learned his thoughtfulness, his attention, his, his interest in, in deeper things, and not just rushing through life, but taking time to talk what matters has really made a huge impact in me. Now, I'm not a golfer. I'm definitely not a golfer. Danny grew up on the golf course. He went to a country club. He grew up on the golf course, loves the golf course. So I go on the golf course. And he's like, Chad, please don't pick up the ball and throw it. I'm like, I'm trying to keep the game going because I know I'm so slow. No, Chad, that's not, he's, he's a rule keeper. I'm a rule breaker. But I love spending time with Danny. So I go down the golf course because I love being with Danny. Now, Danny is not a big fan of Star Wars. You wouldn't know that from this picture. But in 2019, Rise of the Resistance, this brand new $1 billion ride at Disney was opened. And I said, I'm going to be there on opening day. But in order to get in that line, I had to be there at 4 a.m., my buddy Danny got up at 4 a.m. to stand in line with me at Disney so we could ride the Star Wars ride. That's why he might look a little tired in that picture. This last week, Danny you know, called me because his dad passed away and suddenly. And I've been thinking a lot about friendship because of this series. And I just say, Danny, man, I got to thank you for your friendship over the years. And, and man, he sent me a tribute video there showing at the, at the funeral this week to his dad. And I watched it and sent a video. Man, it just meant so much to me to see that. And just, it's just... It started with a U2 interest. We actually served together in a, in a student ministry together. He played the guitar, and I spoke a bit. It was that shared interest, and there was a little bit of chess here, and then our wives got to know each other, and we loved playing games, and we loved movies together. Just all this was built, but it started with pursuing U2 interests. I had a guy at our church who I'd kind of broke, not, I kind of lost contact with the last 10 years, and he recently was going through a very difficult time. I'd served with him, I'd connected with him, I'd, I'd worked alongside him, I'd played tennis with him. He's about 15 years older than me, and so we were playing tennis for the first time, and I'm like, I'm going to kill this guy, because I am clearly an athlete, and he clearly, you know, is just, you know, a little farther along. Well, I don't play tennis. I played racquetball a few times. I get out there thinking I'm going to kill him. He cleans my clock. I mean, <laughs> I got so humbled. I get a call about a year ago, maybe six months ago, and he's like, man, I'm going through a difficult time. I know it's been a long time. Can we talk? Another buddy at our church, can we talk? And immediately, even though it had been a long time, I was amazed that that friendship over time was the place to call, place to help. That's the kind of relationships we're trying to develop here. We're rekindling that friendship. 
What are some of you two interests in your life that you can pursue? And for many of us, like C.S. Lewis said, we don't really pursue friendship because it just doesn't feel like it's necessary. It doesn't impose upon you. Which is why I want you to calculate the benefits. I want you to really, this year, think about the benefits of starting to develop long-term friendships. Celebrate the ones you have, develop some ones maybe you need. The same writer who wrote Proverbs goes and writes in the book Ecclesiastes. He has success, he has power, he's very wealthy. It's written by a guy named Solomon. He says, here's what I've learned. Two are better than one. For one thing, you have a better return for your labor. You've got somebody to celebrate with when you do something. Somebody to tell your stories with when things go well. They're better for your labor. Two, if you fail, you've got a problem, you've got somebody to help pick you up. We all need that. Someone lift up his companion. But woe to him who's alone when he falls, for he has nowhere to help him up. When you fail, when you're in trouble, that's not the time to start making friends. You need to start making friends because we're all going to have those times, he's saying. So now... Calculate the benefits of putting time into your schedule, into your energy, into the stewardship of your life to say, I want to make friendships a priority. It's not going to impose upon you. It's not only good for you personally, it's also good for business. There's a book written a couple years ago called Vital Friends. And in the book, they give out the evidence of how friendship's a secret to a good marriage, friendship's a secret to good parenting, it, it makes work relationships better, it makes everything more productive, more life-giving. One of the stories they tell is a woman named Carolyn. Carolyn was a young female executive in her 20s who was put in charge of a giant manufacturing plant in Manchester, Michigan. Manchester, uh, England, rather. And this plant was all filled with what she called old blokes. 40-year-olds she called old blokes. But they were older than her. All male um, employees except for her. They had the highest complaints of any manufacturing of any of the plants, and they had the lowest productivity and unit per hour uh, productivity going on. She had seen the research on how friendships at the workplace create efficiencies, they create relationships, they create great morale. So this female executive started talking to the old blokes about prioritizing relationships, talking about more than just work, putting some time and money into the resources to have some social time together, some interaction time together, to go to a pub after work, to play badminton or bowling or whatever they did. And they thought she was crazy. But she just kept talking about it. The impact over the next couple of years was so significant that the entire company and other companies were so impressed by her numbers, they invited her in to speak at their national conference. And she said it took slowly over time, talking about the importance of relationships, she said the whole culture changed. People began to talk to each other, interact with Mondays, felt and sounded differently. Somebody had a marriage problem, they'd come and tell her as manager, let's be sensitive to that. They'd come around each other when somebody needed to move. The complaint level in the first year dropped 50%, a shocking increase. The second year, she continued the improvements of friendship only as a factor, complaints dropped another 50%. The, the payroll unit per hour that they got out doubled and then doubled again solely because of the environment change of friendship. She calculated the benefits of friendship to business and she became a, a, a leader in her industry. For most of us, we're not going to know the importance of friendship until you realize, man, I just don't know anybody who really knows me. Or I don't know a lot of people at a deeper level. I got a lot of trivial acquaintances. 
want you to really calculate the benefits of having long-term friendships, people who can do life with you. How do you pursue that? I got a buddy of mine. He, uh, he could have retired five or six years ago. wanted to make a little more money, and it has a good salary. wanted to make a little bit more money. And says, last year, he decided to finally retire. I said, what made you finally pull the trigger? He said, all my friends have retired. And they call me up every single weekend. to go. They love RVing, common interest, you too. They love motorcycling. I got a Harley. He says, I can never go. So I've decided the benefits of stacking away a little bit more money and a little bit more money and a little bit more money isn't more valuable than having experiences and relationships with my friends. Now, most of us aren't at retirement age. Way before that, how do I put some time into my ever-busy, ever-pulling schedule to calculate the benefits of long-term friendships? All the research shows it will make everything better. So, what does that mean for you and I? I think for you and I it means how do we pursue some of those U2 friendships? How do we do that? Well, almost all the research on this shows that there's four levels of friendships. There's different names for it depending on who you study and who you look at. But here's the four different types of friendships. There's acquaintances. So how do you go from not having any friends or acquaintances to building that up? It almost always begins by looking near your interest. I like golfing, you might say. How can I be around other people who like golfing? Hey, I love cycling. Is there a group around who likes to go cycling? I like kayaking. I like sports. I like whatever it is. How do you look around your interests, you too, to build some acquaintances? How does an acquaintance turn into a friend? It's real simply. You just increase the time together, and you find somebody else who's willing to increase time as well. Let's pursue some you twos together. How do you move from a friend to a close friend? You start prioritizing those times and prioritizing experiences. Everything I find going on in my life, I'm not too busy. I just need to make it a priority. How do I, and I can't do that with 50 people. That's why to have only two, one, four close friends, that's probably the best you can have if you're really going to prioritize that. Who are some people in your life that maybe they're available, they're interested in this as well, could move from friends to close friends because you're going to prioritize it. How do you move from close friends to best friends? It's real simple. You start sharing your secrets. Secret dreams. Secret things you're excited about. Secret things you're dreaming about. Things you're hoping for. Sometimes that secret's like, man, you know, I'm going through a tough time right now. And that might be a big vulnerability for you just to say that much, let alone what the tough time is. And you do that with somebody, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they get very uncomfortable. That's probably not someone who wants to get a deeper friendship. But some people, when you get honest, they get honest. And it becomes reciprocal. And you begin to build something more than just acquaintances. So we want to help you as a church. Celebrate the great things in your friendships and also build on those as well. So you a couple ways you can do that. Just in the month of January. <coughs> the month of January, here's several things at the church you can do. Number one find your people. This is for women only. This is a chance to just get to know other people. Common interests. We're going to read the book together. Common interests. We want to start the new year right. We're going to read this book together and kind of get to know what's going on. Number two, what kind of gifts do you have? Almost all my friendships start with a common interest. We're working on something. We're playing something. We're, we're trying to serve other people. This wire to serve is a chance to find out what are your passions, what are your skills, what are your talents, and where might be there other people in the church that have those same passions. That's another way you can connect this month. 
I just talked to a guy this weekend who uh, told me one of the ways he got connected to the church was through authentic manhood about five years ago. Authentic manhood. Ryan Venturi, maybe you've heard him speak here on stage, it's hilarious. He's going to be leading it and just sharing how do we build relationships, how do we make life the best, how do we laugh together, how do we mix up this, this life-work balance together, authentic manhood. Sorry about that, I stood right here in your way. Next, if you like art, I've been to a couple of these different art pieces, it's just awesome. Um, if you want to go to this, again, session is going to be held at the Cincinnati Art Museum. We're going to look at different pieces of art together, look at some biblical narratives that go with that and some things to learn about. Just something pretty cool. If you love art, maybe that's a common interest. One of the things that struck me as you read the Bible is Jesus. <laughs> you, you think, well, Chad's fine talking about Jesus. Sounds like a pastor would do this. Jesus, you know, if you're the son of God or the you know, Bible claims that he's God on earth, you think you'd come around and say, all right, I'm here. Let's do that. You do this. You do this. You're kind of giving orders. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is always inviting friends. First thing he does when he starts his ministry is he, he gets 12 friends. And these 12 groups of friends, out of those he has three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And he does his entire mission as friends. In fact, he's got a group of three, he's got a group of 12, he's got a group of 70, and a group of 120. He shares intimately with the three and the 12, but he works with the 70 and 120. He's always doing life with friends. And here's one thing he says in the Bible. He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. No longer do I call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I'm sharing my secrets, what I'm doing. I'm sharing my secrets, what I'm here. I'm sharing my burdens. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm sharing my burdens. Oh, my goodness, please pray for me tonight, guys. It's going to be a tough 24 hours for me. I have called you friends for all the things I heard from my dad. My dad tells me secrets. I share them with you as well. I don't think there's any better example of friendship than Jesus. He doesn't just want you to be religious this year. He doesn't want you to be religious at all. He wants you to know what it's like to build a friendship with God through him and let that friendship extend into your friendships as well. As you hear this next song, maybe you want to think about some things you love about the friendships in your life. I cannot tell you how many times I get done with the Sunday service and I'm giving Kenny a call or Neil a call and I'm just saying, man, guys, can you believe we get to do this? And we get to do this together. It's just awesome. You know, we're, our mission as a church is to comfortably connect people to God through a community of growing Christ followers. And so we just invite you to be part of our community, wherever you're at. In fact, if you want to connect right now, third door on your left at our hearth room, we're going to have a coffee and connect. Just a great chance to no commitment. Don't just sign the bottom line for anything. Just, hey, connect. I'm interested in this. Anything like this. Anything, I'd like to meet a few people. So if you're interested in that, third door on your left, the hearth room, we'd love to meet with you today in our coffee and connect. If not, we'll see you next week as we continue our series, Socialite, The Lost Art of Friendship. Thanks for being here.